who you are becoming is so much more important than what you are doing. You may believe this. You may not believe this. That's okay. I'm promising you that if you will embrace this little phrase today, it will absolutely transform your life, your perspective, your peace, and your joy. Who you are becoming, who you really are, is so much more important than what you're doing. We've been talking about dreaming big and starting small over the last five weeks, and I can't talk about dreams without going to my favorite scripture about dreams. And it, it will sound weird when I read it that you go, man, that's your favorite? But, but it is because I've lived it, and on the other side of it, I'm so grateful for it. And here's what the scripture says about the most famous dreamer in the Bible. His name was Joseph, and his story is found in Genesis 37 through Genesis 50. But in Psalm 105, it says this about Joseph. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. I want to tell you why that's encouraging, because every teacher is silent during a test. But they are present. And so I've learned to rejoice that even when God's voice seems silent, I know he's present. That even when I cannot trace his hand, I can trust his heart. That even when I can't see him or feel him, I know that he's doing something beyond what I'm experiencing right now. I know that God is doing a deep work in me. I may not see him working around me right now, but I know he's doing something deep in me. And it's caused me to learn to rejoice. So I want to I talk about this today. Being leads to doing. Being leads to doing. Being leads to doing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the moments we share. I pray that you would speak now in a clear and profound way here in this room and overflow all over online. Lord, I just thank you that uh, your word would go out without distraction, go out without interference, go out clearly into our hearts today that it would produce in us 30, 60, and even 100-fold. In the mighty name of Jesus, everyone said amen. Amen. And amen. See, there was something amazing that God had called Joseph to do. There was something for Joseph to do. But there was also someone that God was calling Joseph to become. And a lot of times, especially when we're in this series, we're talking about dreams, people are wrestling with what should I be doing and what's next? What would I do if I couldn't fail? And we're, and we're having all of those and all of that's great. But, but in, the, in the midst of that, don't forget that the most important thing about your life is who you're becoming more than what you're doing, especially like I look around, I see so many young people in this service. Right now, you may not be doing what you feel called to do or passionate to do. That's actually okay. You may not be doing what you want to be doing. That's okay. You can still become who God's calling you to become. Does that make sense? And, and see, every dream, you got to know this about dreams. Dreams are always born in childlike faith. That's a really nice Bible way of saying dreams are born in immaturity. <laughs> so when you first get a dream, it's very, it's very immature in its form. That happened for Joseph. He has a dream in Genesis 37, and he has this dream 
of people bowing down to him. So he wakes up the next morning. He's 17 years old. He runs to his 11 older brothers and his parents. He goes, guys, I have great news. I have a God dream for my life. God's given me my destiny, my purpose, my dream. I know what I'm going to do with my life. And they go, wow, that's great. Tell us about the dream. And he looks at his family. He goes, here's the good news. You are all bowing down in worship to me. (laughs) And as a youngest child, I can say, amen. What a beautiful (laughs) dream. Praise God. Well, they didn't really like that, uh, as you could imagine. That's how the dream started. In other words, the dream started, it was all about him. It was about the dream car and the dream house and the dream girl and the dream this and the dream that. And it was me, 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 me. But through testing, your dream matures. So now the dream isn't just about me, 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 me. The dream is about what is God going to do through me for others. So at the end of his life in Genesis chapter 50, he would say this, this whole thing, this whole thing that I've gone through, this whole dream that God gave me, it wasn't about me. It was about saving many lives. So the dream that God gave me wasn't to stop with me, but it was to flow through me to help others. Doesn't mean that God doesn't care about you and your needs and your desires. Of course he does. It just means that it can't stop with you. It's got to grow beyond you. It's absolutely going to bless you because when Joseph said that, he was in a palace. So, hello, I think the dream worked out okay for him. But it, didn't, but, it, but it wasn't just about him in a palace. It was about him serving a nation. <laughs> so, think about it like this. Your dream and what you're called to do and what you want to do and what you're doing, that's, that's the house. But who you are, your character, your integrity, that's the foundation. Now, we don't care about foundations because we like pretty stuff, right? So you go look at a house and you just go, man, I like the floor plan. I like the kitchen. Oh, cool. It's got upgraded granite. Wow, I like this. Let's do it. I, oh, cool. It's got a pool. I love it. We just, we just look at the outward. But without a strong foundation, that house will not last. Now, I don't even know how to check a foundation. Y'all know what I'm saying? So I don't know. But, but here's what I do know. God cares about your foundation. He actually spoke to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and he said this. He said that, that there are two parts to your life. There is a part to your life that is public. It's wood, hay, and stubble, and it's going to be burned up. There's another part of your life that's private that nobody sees except for God. That is gold, silver, and precious stone. And most of us are living for wood, hay, and stubble. And we're not living for the gold, silver, and precious stone because all of that comes from under the earth. It's the part of my life that no one sees, but it's the part of my life that honors God. It's the real me, and it's the part of me that has the strong foundation that can actually handle the dream. See, listen to me. There's something worse than a delayed dream. It's stepping into your dream, and you're not ready for it. And that's hard... that's hard for you to hear, and you're looking at me rolling your eyes. Well, that's easy for you to say. You're, you're living in your dream. But I wasn't always. I planted this church at 34. I thought I was ready at 28. <laughs> Thank God I didn't plant this church at 28. Thank God I didn't plant this church at 33. I look back, I'd, I think I'd have rather planted it after COVID. Y'all know what I'm saying? Because the very thing that God is calling you into that is for your blessing, if you get into it too early, it'll crush you. So God, God looked at Joseph 
with the dream that he gave him. And Joseph goes, oh, this is all about me, 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 me. And God goes, oh, okay, we've got to put you in a test. We've got to grow you up so you're ready for your dream. (laughs) See, if who you are right now, if who you are doesn't line up with your dream, then either your character needs to change or your dream needs to change. And I want to encourage you, let your character change. Don't shrink your dream down to the size of a small mentality. Grow into, we're going to dream big, then we got to be big people. We got to have a big mindset. We got to have a big spirit. We got to have a big heart. We got to have a big generosity. We got to be able to pray big prayers. We got to have big faith. But what most people do is they have a big dream and they, they start to realize how much it's going to cost them to grow into that. So they end up shrinking their life down. And I'm just asking you don't settle. I'm asking you to grow up into the big thing that God's put in front of you. So when you look at your dream and you look at your life, something's got to change. And I'm challenging you, change you. So that you can walk in what God has for you. Am I preaching the truth so far? All right, all right, all right. Okay, so, so who are you? Who are you becoming? I want to I talk about just three things that I'm, I want to challenge you to become. We could write down 80 things. We could start a new series. We could start a new 80-week series on becoming. And, but I, no, I got too much ADD for 80 weeks, so Cal, get bored. I'm just going to give you three things tonight that, that I want to challenge you with that I see in the life of Joseph that is going to help you walk in your purpose. And here's, here's my first commitment. I'm committed to these things, and I'm, and I'm challenging you to commit with me to this. I am becoming passionate in prayer. I'm becoming passionate in prayer. Whenever you read the life of Joseph, you will not find one recorded prayer of Joseph. You're not going to find him praying. You're not going to find a scripture that says, and Joseph prayed, and then there's the prayer. You won't, you won't find that. But you will find this little statement all over his life that to me is the, is the clue of his prayer life. And the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. And his brothers hated him, but the Lord was with him. And his brothers threw him in a pit, but the Lord was with him. And the brothers sold him into slavery, but the Lord was with him. And, the, and, and, and he ended up at Potiphar's house, and the Lord was with him. And Potiphar sent him to prison, but the Lord was with him. And then and over and over and over, the Lord was with him. The Lord, and, and here's what it lets me know. It lets me know that if God was with Joseph, that, that lets me know that Joseph was with God. That Joseph had some kind of relationship and connection to God that was his sustaining force through every season of his life. I wholeheartedly believe that Joseph's walk with God and his prayer life, that is what gave him the power to stay encouraged when he was sold into slavery. That was what gave him the power and the ability to forgive his brothers for selling him into slavery. It's what gave him the discernment to interpret dreams. It's what gave him the strength to resist Potiphar's wife when she tried to seduce him. And it is what gave him the will to find purpose in his pain. It was Joseph's prayer life that sustained him at his mountaintops and his valley lows. In the pit and in the palace. 
On his worst days and on his best days, the Lord was with him. There was a connection that Joseph had. And you've got to understand this about your dream is that your walk with Jesus will be the very core foundational thing that will sustain you. Because that walk with God is going to keep you humble on the mountaintop, but it's going to keep you encouraged in the valley. It's going to keep you thinking about eternity on your best day and your worst day. Listen to me when I say this. It was who Joseph was with God when no one was looking. That gave him the power to do what he needed to do when everyone was looking. And we are in a generation right now that as as, um, different polls go out, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to be? Gen Z is coming back with this. I want to be famous. That's not a profession. What's what's your dream? I want to be famous. What do you want to do? I want to be famous. By all means necessary. OnlyFans is in the multiplied billions now. Young girls selling their soul. Young couples selling their soul. I'm not judging anybody. I'm saying there is there is this thing that just I want to be famous. There is something more than fame. It's called purpose. Can I tell the truth and shame the devil today? You don't need to sell your body online. You don't need to show more than you need to show online. You can have a purpose that is more than fame or popularity. You can change a generation. It's who Joseph was when no one was looking. That gave him a voice when every eye was on him. God does want to give you influence. Please understand this. But you got to have a private life with God so that when eyes are on you, you actually have something to say. I'm talking about prayer. Let's talk about prayer. James chapter 5 verse 16. The effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman it avails much. It accomplishes much. Fervent. We don't, we don't use that word anymore. It's kind of an old word, but it's a Bible word. So let me help you. It means passion and intensity. It's temperature over time. Some of y'all convicted that you have an OnlyFans uh, subscription. I feel that right now. Some of y'all need a... Delete that in the name of Jesus. I felt that. I felt a quietness at the. Ooh. Jesus. Oh, Lord, I'll never go on this app again, Jesus. I delete that in the name of Jesus. Okay. Help us, Lord. Unsubscribe. Is that what somebody said? Okay. I just messed up my notes. How do I get rid of that? Is that not so funny? I'm a, I'm a loser. Okay, well, praise God. Here we go. Fix it, Jesus. Okay, this word fervent, I had to lighten it up because y'all were getting quiet. This word fervent means passion and intensity. I'm telling you, it's temperature over time. I'm talking about having a passionate prayer life. Passion, heart, and fervency takes prayer from religious duty to a powerful force on the earth. We're talking about prayer. We're talking about passionate prayer. 
Look what Jesus says. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Just think about this. Most people in the West, most teaching that we hear in the West would, would not preach that. They would say, you don't need to ask because everything is God's will. It just happens. You don't need to seek. Favor will find you. <laughs> you don't need to knock. God will open up every door that he wants open. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says the life you want, you're going to have to ask for it. The life you want, you're going to have to seek it. And the life you want, you're going to have to knock on doors. What does that mean? That means that there are doors that God has for you that are closed. We think every God door is an open door. Nope. A lot of open doors are the devil's doors. Some of God's greatest doors to you are actually closed. And it is up to you to use spiritual authority and prayer to knock that door open. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 16. He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail. What does that mean? That means that Satan has put up walls, doors, barriers between you and your destiny. And he's trying everything he can. He's in the defensive trying to stop the church. And Jesus says, if you'll knock, if you'll push down on those gates, if you'll push on those doors, if you'll knock, those doors will be open to you. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, but the church has stopped knocking. Knock, knock, somebody said. So there's a life you have to ask for. There's a life you have to seek. And there's a life that must be open to you in the place of prayer. If you take prayer out of your life, you have just stripped your life of spiritual power and spiritual opportunity. I'm not saying that you get every answer to every prayer you ever pray. But I am saying this is the only way God moves. He does this by Prayer, look what he goes on to say in Matthew 16. So right after he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, he says this. He tells this to the disciples. I'm giving you the keys. Watch this. I will give you the keys. Who has the keys? We got the keys. A lot of you don't want to answer. You're like, uh, Jesus? Nope, that's not what he said. He said he'll give us the keys. Okay, so the church has the keys of authority. Of the kingdom of heaven. And here's what, the, here's what the church has the authority to do. Whatever you bind. Have, has anyone ever heard of this phrase, binding and loosing? Have you ever heard of this phrase? A lot of you have heard it. Maybe you grew up in church. You're like, I don't know what it means. Okay, well, let me explain it. To bind is to forbid, to declare, to be improper, and to declare unlawful. Whatever you bind. In other words, whatever you say no to on earth, God will say no to in heaven. If you bind it on earth, he'll bind it in heaven. Whatever you loose, whatever you say yes to, whatever you permit, whatever you declare lawful on earth will be loosed in heaven. God will say yes in heaven. Jesus is looking for a prayer partner. He's ready to say yes and no, and only he can answer prayer. But he must find a yes and a no on earth. To release his will. And many of us, things begin to happen in our life and we just accept it. And he says, no, you got to say no to things. You got to bind things. You got to say, devil, in the name of Jesus, I bind you. What you're doing in my life is unlawful. It's illegal. You don't own me. I'm God's property. You don't get to come. You're trespassing on me. I bind you.
I bind that spirit of discouragement. I bind that spirit of fear. I bind that spirit of suicide. I say no to it. I, I say I will not permit it. And then now that you've said it, now Jesus has a prayer partner. And now what you've said no to, he can say no to. And then you get to loose. You get to say yes to the plan and the purpose and the will of God. And then he'll say yes. How can two walk together unless they agree? There has to be agreement. I'll give you another one. Matthew 6, 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, your kingdom is not manifesting in this area. I'm asking for your kingdom to come in this area. Your will is not being done. I'm asking for your will to be done in this area. And now there can be agreement between heaven and earth. I want to say it one more time. Prayer does not need to be long. It just needs to be passionate. I was at a green light recently with Shannon and Goldie, our five-year-old. We are at a green light. And at the green light, I'm turning right. I'm not trying to rhyme. I'm just telling you what happened. I was at a green light. I was trying to turn right. And there's a pedestrian walking. And they had the little walking figure, you know what I'm saying? So they could walk. So I can't turn yet. Well, while that's happening, I look in my rearview mirror, and there's a guy barreling down on us because all he sees is green. So I'm looking in my rearview mirror. You're my rearview mirror right now. I'm looking in my rearview mirror, and I'm going, Jesus, 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 Jesus. She has to go, what? Jesus, Jesus. It wasn't time. It was temperature. It wasn't long. It was hot. It was fervent. I didn't have time to go, you know what? Let's just soak in the presence of the Lord. Let's get the worship team up. Let's just take our, no. I didn't have time for it. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And as I'm looking at him, he catches eyes with me. He stops right, 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 right behind us. And I went, anyway. I would rather you pray 10 minutes hot than an hour cold. Some of you are trying to get to a certain amount of prayer time so that you feel religious. I prayed for an hour today. Did you really or did you pray for about 15 minutes? And then for 45 minutes, you're like, yes, Lord, we praise you, Lord. Bless my Instagram, Lord. But you feel more spiritual because you prayed an hour. You didn't pray an hour. Man, Jabin, I feel like sometimes, man, I pray five minutes and I run out of stuff to pray. Then stop. <laughs> Quality over quantity. There are times that I'll get just a couple of minutes with Goldie where it's, I'm like, oh my God, she's like 15 right now. It's only five, but like for like two minutes, we're like just in a zone. We're just talking. And then it's like off to, and then here's a Lego, you know, and then it's on to the next thing. Well, I don't go, you know, that really should have been an hour, Goldie. No, it was two minutes of awesomeness where we just chatted and we connected and we talked, and then it was over. And I know I'm going to have another one of those moments. It's not like the father's going, you know, it's really, we really need, it's really got to be 45 minutes to have a breakthrough. No. Smith Wigglesworth would say it like this. He was, a, he was a great English evangelist in the 19th century. He said, I've never prayed more than a half an hour. But I've never gone more than a half an hour without praying. <laughs> Doesn't have to be long. It just has to be passionate. Only 65 words in the Lord's Prayer. But within that prayer is everything you need. Peter prayed a 12-word prayer in Acts chapter 3 and a crippled man was healed. 
Hezekiah prayed a 33-word prayer in Isaiah 38, and God added 15 years to his life. Elijah prayed a 60-word prayer in 1 Kings 18, and a nation turned back to God. Let me remind you, young people. Everyone's young at the 6 p.m. I declare it so in Jesus' name. I got to tell you, God answers prayer. Prayer opens doors. And the plan of God is revealed in the life of prayer. You've got to, we got to get passionate. In our prayer number two, we must be committed to holiness. I'm committed to holiness. Many people want to know God's will for their life. You know, Jabin, I'm just... Through this series, I'm really praying about a lot of things. I'm really trying to decide a lot of things. I'm really asking a lot of questions. Okay, all that's great. So let's start with a foundational will of God for your life that then you can grow out of. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. God's will is, God's will is, God's will is for you to be holy. Start, do that one for a while. And then worry about who you're going to marry and where you're going to live and what job you're going to take. Just figure out that one. Yeah. Let me tell you what holiness Holiness is obeying the clearest, most obvious commands of Scripture to the best of your ability in an honor to God. There are things in your walk with God that will be gray. So don't get caught up in that. Holiness is living in the, I'm living in the clearest obedience to what God has said to me. I'm living in that. And I'm not going to get so, most believers are, are trying to ask, is this a sin? Is this okay? Can I do this? Can I not do this? Can I? And, but we're not doing the clearest things the scripture commands. Work on those things. Live within the, in the clearest boundaries God has given you. And then there's freedom within the boundaries. Does that make sense? Once you're in the boundaries, now you have the most freedom. I'll just go back to Goldie really quick. She's not allowed in our front yard without us. But within our house, she has total free reign. She's, she's within a boundary, but she's super safe, and she's super free. I, I, I hope that makes sense to you. Holiness. So, so people want to ask like a question like, you know, can, can I drink? I'm a Christian. Can I drink? Can I drink? Can I drink? Can I drink? Pastor, is it okay if I drink? Okay, that to me is a gray area, but here's a clear command of Scripture. You cannot get drunk. That's what the Bible says. Don't get drunk or high. Okay, so you can't do that. But can you drink? Well, that's gray. So here's what I would say. I know, I know preachers who radically love Jesus, who will not drink, and they won't even sit at a table with people who are drinking. Because to them, it's like, they won't, even, they won't even be around it. I know other preachers who are at that same table ordering the drinks. <laughs> and they love Jesus. Because it's gray. So don't get caught up in the gray. Honor God's clear command. Don't get drunk. Be sober-minded. Okay? And, and what is legalism, legalism is when the Holy Spirit tells me to do something and then I tell you to do the same thing even though the Holy Spirit didn't tell you to do it. So never pressure someone to do something or not to do something if it isn't clear in Scripture. Well, don't pressure anyone anyway because they're going to do whatever they want. But I'm just saying, oh, you don't, you don't drink? What's wrong with you? 
No, don't ever pressure someone like that. Or, hey, you, you, you shouldn't drink. Well, no, you don't know. Okay? Now, some of you, you, you shouldn't drink because you have an addictive personality. You've come out of addiction, and you can't just have one. So you, you shouldn't. It wouldn't be wise. I'll have, like, 40-year-old people walk up to me like, can I drink? I'm like, it, do you not? No. Well, don't start now. You're old. Don't start now. You're too old for that. But I hope you hear my heart here. It's gray. So I'm, live, I'm committed to holiness, which is I'm, I'm trying to obey the clearest commands of Scripture. Okay, so what's holiness? Holiness, I think, is best defined in its antonym. The antonym for holiness is common. Common. What is common? What, what is usually common in a godless culture is the opposite of holiness. Well, everybody does this. Well, everybody says this. Well, everybody believes this. Well, everybody... Okay, just because it's common doesn't mean it's right. And usually holiness is the opposite. So like some of you are only ever offended or outraged about things that a whole culture is. You're probably more cultural than you are spiritual. No, I'm not trying to get, no, I'm not trying to step on anybody. We don't need to clap for it. I'm okay. I'm a big boy. But my point is, is that you're, you're probably more in with the culture than you think. Because basically you just, you go on your phone, the culture tells you what to care about, and that's what you care about. That's common. Instead of going, what does the Bible say? Not, not to be antagonistic, not to, current, not to just try to fight, not to just try to be different, but to honestly say, okay, well, what, what, what does the Holy Spirit say about this situation? That's holiness. Okay, so if, if the antonym of holiness is common, here's what holiness means. It means to be separated unto God for special use. Holiness is not about me saying I'm better than you and I don't sin like you and, and I'm, I'm more spiritual than you. Holiness is saying I believe that God has a special plan and purpose for my life. I didn't decide that. He decided that. So I'm going to live in a way to where I'm available to be used by God. So not I'm special. I'm holy. I'm not like you guys. No. God has a special plan in the earth. I believe for whatever reason in his mercy and grace, he's decided to use the church. So I'm going to live in a way where I'm separated unto God so that if God says you, I'm ready. That's holiness. Okay, so now we got to look at we got to look at Joseph because Joseph had to live in holiness. The Bible said that he served a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar had a wife who had the hots for him. She wanted to sleep with him. So what you're going to read in Genesis 39 is that this woman keeps trying to come onto him, keeps trying to seduce him. And and here's what Joseph keeps saying to her. I can't sin against your husband. I can't dishonor your husband. I can't dishonor this man that's given me all this opportunity. I can't do that. So she gets him alone. She pins him alone. And here's what, here's what he says to her. How can I do this great wickedness? Now watch this. That's one thing. And sin against God. Now I'm going I'm to set a lot of people free tonight because you're, you're trying to discern how to, how to walk in holiness. Holiness is twofold. It's always horizontal and vertical. The great wickedness is against Potiphar, his friend but also a sin against God. 
He said, Mrs. Potiphar, if I sleep with you, I'm going to dishonor my brother and I'm going to dishonor my God. Because every sin is both horizontal and vertical. This is, okay, this is actually super good news. Here's why. Because sometimes you're going to be tempted and you just love Jesus. You're just on fire for Jesus. You're just red hot for God and you just, you just turn on for the Lord. And, and man, some, some temptation comes and you're just like, man, I could never do that. I just love the Lord too much. I just love Jesus. He's just my everything. Awesome. There's other times when you serve God long enough where you're going to be a little bit lukewarm and cold. All right, no amens. That's all right. Leave me out there hanging. And I may not have a strong spiritual vertical conviction right now because I'm a little lukewarm. But I also know I don't want to sin against you. I don't want to sin against my wife. I don't want to sin against my daughter. I don't want to sin against the body of Christ. So sometimes my holiness is, is empowered by God, which is the best way. But other times my holiness is empowered by my relationships with you. Where I go, man, I don't want to disappoint people. I don't want to ruin this church. I don't want to send this church into a scandal. I don't want to, I don't want to have to rebuild my credibility. Does that make sense? So listen, this is actually good. So now when you're tempted, you can go, okay, wait, this would be a great wickedness to my brother and sister in Christ, but it would also be a sin against God. So now it's a twofold empowerment to say no to sin. I'm going to keep going because it's getting quiet. <laughs> Yesterday, Goldie ran in my room and she's listening to the, to the, Veggie Tales. Anybody know about Veggie Tales? Okay. Veggie Tales. Um, she, uh, she runs in. She goes, Dad, I just learned about one of the Ten Commandments. I can't lie. And I said, that's right. And she goes, and then she said this, what are the other nine? And first of all, I thought that was awesome because she did the math in her head. So I was like, yes, let's go, math girl. I see you. So, of course, what I did is I have the Ten Commandments memorized, and so I said, well, it starts... No, just kidding. I had to go to Google. <laughs> Let me just continue to disappoint you now. I've talked about drinking. I've talked about gray areas. I mean, sometimes I'm in the flesh. Okay, well, now I don't know the Ten Commandments. So I go to Google. I, like, knew them, but I didn't know them in order. And so I'm like, I know there's a Sabbath in there. Something about murder. Don't do that. Idol worship. Not recommended. But so, I, so we pull them. <laughs> it's funny. Something about making statues. I wouldn't recommend it. Okay. So we're walking through the Ten Commandments. We get to adultery. Well, as soon as I say adultery, she goes, what's adultery? I said, well, okay. So now i got to explain this to a five-year-old. I go, well, your mama is my wife. And I do things with your mama that are very sacred and special just because we're married. So, you know, I give her a kiss. She goes, yeah. You know, I slap her on the butt. She goes, yeah. yeah. I said, you know, we sleep in this bed. She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I don't do that with any other woman because she's my wife. I said, so I don't have any girlfriends. That would be wrong. That would be adultery because that would hurt you and that would hurt mommy and that would hurt our church. So I don't have any girlfriends. I just have mama. And that's all I need. Girl, you're more than enough, girl. I don't want anybody else. Let's go. Let's go right now. Let's go. Let's go. And, so, uh, and, I'm, and I'm crazy about her. For real. And so I said, <laughs> so I, this service is totally off the rails right now. So I said, I said, so I don't have any girlfriends because if I had girlfriends, that would be adultery. She said, well, dad, I have two boyfriends. 
therapist in Las Vegas, trauma counseling. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh. I go, really? But you're trying to keep it cool because you're having a moment with your kid and you're not trying to ruin the moment with the kids. I go, really? You are? You have two boyfriends? Really? And she goes, well, yeah, number one, you're my boyfriend. And I went, oh. And then I'm going, girl, you better say Jesus next or I'm going to lose my mind. And she goes, and Archer's my boyfriend. And Archer's a boy that used to go to our church. He just moved up to Montana. And, uh, and I said, he, he is? He's your boyfriend? And she said, well, yeah, he, he told me I'm his girlfriend. And I said, well, just because he said it. Come on, somebody. I said, Do, I mean, you don't want to be his girlfriend, right? You want to be my girlfriend, right? And she said, no, 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 I want to be his girlfriend. I said, okay, okay. okay. I said, I said, well, it's not adultery because you're not married. You're just playing the field right now, breaking hearts. Okay, okay. So, so what is holiness? Don't forget this if you're taking notes. Holiness is the fruit. Love is the root. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Let me say it one more time. Holiness is the fruit. Love is the root. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Watch this. The entire law, 613 Mosaic commandments. That's that right there. 613 Mosaic commandments all hang on this. By the way, how about the thousands of commandments that you're going to find in the prophets and in the new covenant? Okay. Thousands of commandments, you can boil them down to 10. 10 commandments, you can boil down to two. Love God, love people. And if you love God and you love people, you're going to walk in holiness. Okay, we're, and I'm committed to holiness. I'm committed to holiness. Number three, I'm, I'm, I'm committed to this. I'm, I'm becoming this. I'm becoming joyful in generosity. Joyful in generosity. So at the end of his life, let me have Zach come up. Let me wrap this up. At the end of his life, Joseph says there was a purpose for the dream. And he tells this to his brothers. He, he said, you sold me into slavery. And, and for you, you, when you sold me into slavery, you meant this evil against me. You, you meant this for my evil, for my destruction. But God, but God meant it for my good. And, and here's why. Not so you would bow down and worship me like it started but so that many people would be saved. Joseph said, God gave me a dream and a vision. And when I first got it 14 years ago, it was all about me, 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 me. But now as I've matured, as God has tested me, I now realize that the dream was never about people bowing down to me. The dream was about me serving a nation. It's generosity. So here's generosity, a readiness to give more than is expected or necessary. One more time. Generosity is a readiness to give more than expected or necessary. Imagine your marriage if you lived with a generous heart. Imagine you at work if you live with a generous heart. I'll be honest with you, a lot of you work a 9 to 5 and by about 4.45 you've already packed up. 
Okay, almost time. 447, okay. And right at, right at 5 o'clock, you're out. That's not generous. And then you come to church going, please pray for favor. My boss doesn't like me. No, duh. Imagine, imagine if you got to work early. Why well, wouldn't get paid for it? Imagine. Imagine if you worked until 5 and then packed up and then left at like 510, OMG, oh my God. So, well, I'm not getting paid for that. I mean, I know, it's called generosity. What if that became your example at work? What if your coworkers knew you were a generous soul? Not, hey, can you clock in for me? I'm running late. And then you walk in with a new pumpkin spice latte for yourself, not for them, the guys that clocked you in. I hope you're hearing my heart. I'm not saying being, be taken advantage of by your, by your workplace. I'm not saying become a doormat. But what I am saying is, what if we live with a readiness to give more than expected? It is said that it is lonely on the second mile. But I don't believe that. I believe it's rewarding on the second mile. Because I'm doing more than expected. I'm doing more than what people would deem necessary. I'm living with a generous soul. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to wrap this up. In Proverbs 23, there's a really famous scripture. A lot of you, if you grew up in church, you've heard of this scripture. In Proverbs 23, it says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. But the context, the reason that the proverb writer says this, is he says, never eat with a stingy person. And stingy, by the way, is the antonym of generosity. The proverb writer says, don't eat with stingy people. Here's why. Because they're going to be looking at you eating, saying, enjoy your food. But in reality, they're mad at you for eating in front of them. So in other words, they take you out to dinner. You're out to eat. And they're going, you, are you, is the food good? And they're going, yeah, yeah, it's great. And they're thinking, I can't believe they ordered the steak. Why didn't they just order the enchiladas? I mean, why did they have to get the appetizer? I mean, I, well, you offered. It's a stingy heart. Watch this. That stinginess, here's what the proverb writer is saying, that stinginess is a heart thing. It's like who they are. I'm just tight with my money. No, there's a difference between being a good steward and being stingy. Stingy is when you never feel like you have enough and you're mad at other people for having enough. Generosity is when you're grateful for whatever God's given you and you celebrate other people winning in life. So... Joseph, at the end of his life, goes, guys, the dream. He's telling this to his brothers who sold him into slavery. He hasn't seen them in 14 years. And he goes, guys, I know that you meant this for my evil, for my harm. You wanted to destroy my life. But actually, God was in this. So here's what I'm going to do. He loads them up with grain. He loads them up with food and water. And he sends it back to his family. He could have killed them. He could have proved to them, you know, a lot of people live with a chip on their shoulder these days where they're, they're trying to prove people wrong. They're, you know, when you win, everyone's going to see you win. Who cares? Why are you living for that? Stop living trying to prove a point to some kid in high school that you haven't talked to in five years. They don't even know who you are. Trying to prove something to, to, to your dad. You're trying to prove something to a family member. You're trying to prove something to a teacher. Don't live with a chip on your shoulder. Don't, don't try to win so that they lose. 
Joseph feeds his brothers because he's generous, feeds his father because he's generous, takes care of his family because he's generous, and feeds a nation because he was generous. Because he had a dream, but it wasn't just about him. It was about not only blessing his nation, even blessing his enemies. I want to be joyfully generous. I don't want to live with a tight, closed hand. I want to live open to whatever God has. I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about being a doormat. I'm not talking about people taking advantage of you. I, but I am saying, I, I, I don't want to live with this anger. See, Joseph could have ended his life so angry. And he could have had revenge on his brothers, but instead he showed mercy. Because as a man, think that generosity was in him. That's who he was. So generosity is not just about giving in the offering tonight. Generosity is about a life of, of giving more than expected for the benefit of others. Oh, and by the way, God sees it. People may never see it. Your boss may never see it. Your family may never see it. Other people may never. God sees it and God will reward it. So, so here's who I'm becoming. Yes, I'm a dreamer. Yes, I got big plans. Yes, I want God to do great things with my life. But I'm committed to passionate prayer. I'm committed to holiness. And I'm committed to joyful generosity. In Jesus' name. Can I get an amen? Give God some praise tonight.